Hello and welcome to Sabre Town. Uh, let's go on that Sabre Town and our Sabre Train, should I say, and ride. Um, we're coming to you from lots of different platforms across the world, uh, but for all of our um, podcasts and lots of other resources as well, you can go to www.sobertownpodcast.com and see hear all the podcasts and um, lots of great resources too. Um, it's going to be a good day. It sounds like I haven't got my teeth in properly. I'm chewing on my words already, which isn't a great start. But here I have on my train with me today, the lovely 10 seconds at a time, Molly. Hello. Hi, Karina. It's so good to see you. And you. I was looking back, it was two months ago that we last chatted on, on Zoom. Oh so... my gosh, it feels like ages. I don't know about you, but time is just like flying for me. It's just crazy right now. Sure. Yeah. 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 It was. It was. It was two months ago. It was. I think it was about the eighth of August, and you were just coming up to six months. Um. Mm-hmm. So you must be. Are you at eight months or just coming up to eight months uh, now? I actually just hit nine months on nine months? Uh, August fourth. Was nine months. Yeah. Okay. I uh, see. So you. Mm-hmm. You've probably just hit six months when we spoke last. Right. Then, brand new. Between the sixth and seventh, weren't you? And uh, mm-hmm. and you you had a bit of a funk going on. At, you know, it wasn't quite. It was it's kind of a, a strange feeling at that time, wasn't it? But w- one of the things we talked about was, or that came up in the podcast, was depression. Mm-hmm. And um, we said that actually it would be good for us to do a whole podcast on depression. So thank you for joining me today to to come and talk about this uh, this subject which you know mental health is really really important um and you know de- with depression sort of with and without alcohol um so we'll, we'll have a look at that for us um but just before we start talking about our experiences i'm just gonna um read the diagnostic criteria out for people because you know very often we do feel um a bit low, a bit depressed, a bit fed up. Um, But when we're looking at clinical depression, um, usually the symptoms have to last for at least two weeks, okay? And there's two core symptoms that we're looking at is if you've been feeling, you know, over the last couple of weeks, bothered by feeling down, depressed or hopeless. And if you've had special interest or pleasure in doing things, they could be signs and indications that you are getting a clinical depression. Other symptoms that then go along with that is the associated symptoms of depression, which is disturbed sleep, which can be decreased or increased compared to usual, whatever is usual for you, decreased or increased appetite or weight, fatigue or loss of energy, agitation or slowing of movements, you can go to either extreme, poor concentration or indecisiveness, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. And also suicidal thoughts or acts go in with that as well. So if any of you have any of those symptoms and who are listening and have had those symptoms for um, more than two weeks, then we suggest that you go and speak to a medical practitioner about that and get some support or help. So Molly, so how, how are things with your depression, your mood at the moment with your, your nine-month saber? My actual nine-month anniversary was kind of... I mean, I don't know. I feel like most of my milestones have been pretty, pretty positive, but nine months was just a really big combination of factors. And it wasn't really a good time for me, honestly. This is actually really appropriate that we're talking about this because I've had kind of a string of just some like life events that have happened in succession that, you know, when things happen back to back and you don't get a lot of breathing room and you don't get time to process and you're just always trying to deal with stuff 
um, it gets overwhelming. And right around my nine months was what I was dealing with, with that. And um, I made a post about it and I, I, I was just journaling to myself as well about how I wish that I had felt more, you know, more joy that day, uh, more genuine happiness. But um, I've, I've done a lot of improvement and don't get me wrong. It's still way better than the times that I was drinking. <laughs> I mean, anything in sobriety, like your, your lowest day in sobriety is still so much better than your best day, like as an active addict. And, um, it's like my bar for myself has been raised, but, but generally, um, over the last nine months, I've, I've made significant improvements. Um, and I don't know, it was just kind of a one-off thing. It has a lot to do with work for me, um, like work-related stress causing, causing my, you know, my moods and stuff like that. And uh, I'm waiting to get my fiance in the country. I, remember, I don't know if you remember, he's in Australia. Yeah. And with COVID, that's just been a monster, like back and forth with the government trying to get that figured out. So, um, but I like that we're talking about this because my personal journey had a lot to do with, me kind of invalidating my own sadness. Um, and in, in depression, one of the things that really takes over is the feeling of shame and feeling like you're not enough and feeling like, you know, I know a lot of people there, they say things like, wow, you're, you have so much more going on than I do. Like, I don't even deserve to feel sad or I don't deserve to feel depressed or anything. And I think that's one of the most like toxic mindsets you can have especially in recovery, because it, I, I almost think that relates to a lot of people's addictions. At least it did for me. I just never thought that like, I, I could be sad or I could be depressed. So I would just drink to be happy, you know, like alcohol is good at that in the moment. It just takes away your pain and you just do that enough and you don't know how, how to handle sadness because you're never, you're never handling it. So um, I definitely think you know, most people need to give themselves a lot more grace and recovery too, um, because stuff is hard and it's hard if you're drunk, but it's still hard if you're sober sometimes. And it's kind of easy to forget that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and I think it's tough when, you, when you're sober, you really start to find out what's happening underneath and what you've been burying for so long, don't you? And um, mm -hmm. I, I was talking with Polly um, in our happy hour earlier in the week, and we were talking about sort of self-harm and punishment and sweets and, and cravings and things. But we were talking also about, you know, how when you're kids, you know, we're taught not to express our emotions. It's like, you know, parents might say, don't cry, you know, and we even actually, well, I, I sort of used to bite my lip a lot to stop myself physically from crying because we're told not to do that and we're, we're taught from a very very early age um you know not to express not to express how how we're feeling or or you know what we're doing and yeah it's it's when we then get so we spend the whole of our life really doing all different distractions to cover all our emotions Mm -hmm. um and we do that very heavily with with alcohol and in addiction and then when we stop drinking it's like ah what are all these scary feelings that are here I know and, I know yeah. I did a little bit of my own research before coming on with you today and I was just looking into things that are known to cause depression like clinical depression um and one that you just mentioned actually was environmental factors like things that are in your constant daily life that are just that are unhealthy 
Um, and sometimes it's people, sometimes it's, you know, situations you can't avoid. Um, it mentioned that people struggling with money are often more depressed because, you know, you can't satisfy just that, that basic need to be safe and not have to worry about where, you know, if you're paying for your next meal or you're going to put gas in the car. And, um, and furthermore, like a, a lot of people in, in my recovery so far seem to have the commonality of, once they're sober, like seeing certain family members or even their partners in a different light um, through the eyes of sobriety. And even so far as to realize that they're in, you know, they have like an abusive or a straight up like manipulative relationship with this person. Um, I've seen it in, you know, mothers, fathers, partners, wives, sisters, and, and they'll just suddenly have this clarity um, because they're not masking their own feelings and their own um, honesty, uh, that there are certain things in life that they just need to let go of and just be away from. And, um, I think that's, that's really important to take into account because we always want to find our own ways to handle our own problems. I, I'm the kind of person, especially that's very much a, a do it yourselfer. Like I always want to handle my own problems and not mm -hmm. talk to anyone and, you know, be the responsible one. Don't have to lean on people, you know, but um, sometimes there isn't anything to do except get rid of the person, place, or thing entirely. And, you know, we can kind of keep banging our head against the wall, metaphorically, um, trying to fix something that can't be fixed. And it's important in, in depression to realize, I think, you know, at what point are you trying to fix an unfixable thing or solve an unsolvable problem? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's about those toxic relationships, isn't it? And um, those relationships that have been in our life, either on the periphery or right in the centre of it, um, that we've drank, that have driven us you know, to drink more because like, we've not been happy with that or this. So we, we'll just drink a bit more and then we don't have to take any notice of it. Um, and then we get sober and it's, it, we start to reevaluate ourselves and our own worth I think um but also you know get to that point of no this is actually toxic and I'm not blocking anymore I need to do something about this um we can't change other people we can't change what they do we can't control others all we can do is change or control our responses to it or our situation and um you know we, we hear quite a lot I've heard quite a lot about gaslighting now that people are coming mm -hmm. to the realization that people are gaslighting them um yeah. and they've been in those relationships for years and years and they've never ever seen it before right right and there there are some people like that's all they've known in their relationship life so it's it's like amazing what, what kind of clarity you get when you raise your bar for yourself and you say, I'm not going to let this person, you know, treat me like this anymore. And um, I think it's especially important because, you know, you're, you're understanding your own sense of worth. And when you understand that, you know, that the, like the people in your life, are, are supposed to live up to what you think of yourself. You know, you only allow that. And if you're, if you're constantly in this state of depression and um, you know, the, the alcohol cycle fuels that depression. Um, it, I mean, alcohol in and of itself is a substance that is literally, it's a depressant chemically. Um, it, it kind of puts a filter on everything in your body, your senses, your breathing, you know, even just like your, your awareness. Um, 
and it's it's not instantly gone like when you're sobering up you know when you're not actively drunk like that alcohol is still affecting you for up to two to three weeks after your last drink like even if it's not a lot um I think people don't I didn't at least I didn't realize at all the actual you know effects of alcohol outside of like either drunk or hungover like I thought once you were done being hungover that alcohol was done messing with you but really no like because I've all the people I've seen that have had achieved long-term sobriety and then had a relapse it is like hell to get back to feeling in a good mental place after that because you not only realize what you had and how much better it was but you realize how much lower it is the second time Mm -hmm. around and um and people when they first start off like they're just wondering why they're so depressed and why they have no motivation and why this and why that and it's like that's the alcohol it's physically messing up your brain and it's i think it's really important to kind of understand that and not always try and take that on yourself and and say like what can I do to improve my mood it's like you have to wait out and heal from that Mm. for sure yeah yeah because it does affect all the serotonin levels doesn't it and the dopamine levels and everything in the brain and and something that sort of um hit me recently I mean I started I was first put on antidepressants in 1995 so a long long time ago really um and I have been virtually on and off them since I had three major episodes of depression um so yeah I'm, I'm virtually on them I mean since I've got sober I have started to gradually wean myself off of them which which is good um but what what I always felt was when I first went on to antidepressants was that I actually felt what I perceived normal should be because I felt that I'd never felt normal in my life so I'd always been unhappy I'd always been sad um but actually when I pieced it back it was more from my teenage years it was more from around the age of 14 I'd always felt like I never fitted in and that's when I started to drink alcohol was to, to try and fit in at 14 and I suppose you know and that's the time isn't it we start to develop the hormones we're looking at our identity crisis and I was going through all of that as a drinker. And, you know, I started then taking antidepressants and I was like, oh, this is how I feel. You know, I've never really felt like this. This is how I should have felt as a teenager. But of course, what I was doing at 14 was reducing all my natural serotonin and dopamine and increasing all my adrenaline. So, you know, right, I never gave myself a, a fair chance. And that's what, what, what happens when we start drinking at any time but especially you know in our teenage years we're still developing our brains developing I think we still keep developing our brains till we're about 2021 20, I think it is mm-hmm. um you know and I drank all that time which so many of us do mm-hmm. yeah so. I I thankfully didn't start I mean I had like two drinks in my like early teenage years my my real consumption started around 1920 and Mm. then just kind of kept getting worse but um it it also just goes to show like I mean if a a teenager teenagers are very influenced like easily influenced you know you always are you're kind of building you know building your personality you're trying to figure out who you are your you know your body's (laughs) in bloom to put it poetically you know and you're you're becoming a person you're becoming who you're going to be for the rest of your life and like people people turn to that because there's something appealing about alcohol which is like societally ironically 
deemed as this thing that makes you happy when like you just mentioned in fact it's the literal opposite like there's the happiness initially from it but you know as humans we're very good at forgetting the consequences for our actions (laughs) and you know so we just keep chasing that like little itty bitty chunk of good feeling in this huge mix that's actually a complete mess and that's a really really powerful societal message to have to overcome that that feeling of of you know you know that you've done something wrong for yourself when you're hungover like it's anyone who's had a hangover they're like this is seriously poisoning me you I mean it's not a good feeling you know there's something very wrong but we do it anyway because it's like years and years of this societal conditioning that you know alcohol is a good time alcohol makes you cool alcohol makes you better alcohol makes you have you know any number of things and like for me at this point in in my sobriety i've i've very firmly started to undo that romanticism of alcohol mm-hmm. entirely that was my ultimate goal like in the beginning you know it's it's all about just not drinking right and distracting yourself and avoiding temptation and that's all valid like anything you have to do to not drink please do it you know but I wanted to work towards um just viewing alcohol itself as a joke and something that's I personally don't find any value in because if there's even that little itty bitty bit of voice in my head that thinks alcohol might enhance a certain situation like that's always gonna bother me and I want to I want to eliminate any trace of that voice and just know like deep in my heart factually like I am having a good time this is the best time I I don't need anything to make this a better time you know and that's it's hard to undo that you don't even know like until you start to undo it how you've been conditioned to believe that in the first place it's crazy Yeah, yeah. I know, but a lot of that is through the advertising. I know we harp on a lot about the advertising, but it is it is the advertising that romanticizes it to sell it to us, isn't it, in the first place? And then we just assume that 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 is right and that that is correct. And and you know, I think I think it might be Craig Beck that had said before. You know, as you you know just said about sort of the hangover and being ill and I I remember I used to just thought it was known that if I was really bad I'd be falling asleep on the bathroom floor hugging the big white telephone you know and they'd just throw Mm -hmm. a quilt over me and sometimes someone would throw a pillow at me and that was kind of normal for me if I'd been drinking and I'm pretty sure it's Craig Beck that said you know but if if you had a bit of food or something like that that made you feel that ill you probably wouldn't be eating that again you mm. go off that bit of food and even with alcohol I've done it in the past like I can't touch whiskey because I got so drunk on whiskey once but I didn't stop drinking I just stopped stopped whiskey um mm-hmm. so but it, we soon forget don't we because we do romanticize it we forget about how ill and how awful it makes us feel until now when we get sober and we can look back and we think yeah you know, I did that yeah. for so much myself but yeah, for sure. And um, I think when, when you start to realize you can heal from that feeling, from that you can, you know, exist without this constant up and down, then you start to kind of understand that what you were doing when you were drinking, at least for me, um, I, I wasn't really living. I was just kind of, you know, existing. Like I wasn't I mean, I, I, everyone has like a different quote unquote rock bottom. Right. So like my, 
my reasoning that I could drink and that I was allowed to drink. And, you know, regardless of my depression, regardless of the fact that I felt like death all the time, regardless of the fact that, you know, I never socialized some days I didn't shower when I should have. So I like barely moved off my couch. Like all of these things were huge warning signs that I was very depressed and not okay. You know, I was like, well, I'm still going to work and I'm still supporting myself still making money, you know, still doing the bare minimum in that arena, which, you know, some people lose that in their rock bottom. Some people go to jail. And um, I, I was fortunate enough in my addiction to never have to, but, but you, you realize that just existing in that state is not enough anymore. Like you, you can only stay in this state of mere survival for so long before you either just give up because there's no joy in your life or you have to do something about it. And like, that was my story. Like I, I had just been in this constant state of existence and no joy, no laughter, no, you know, no, nothing to strive for. Even I had no goals. It was just like, wake up the next day. It was my next goal, you know, and like make it through a day. And which which in the interim for short amounts of time is fine like some people you just got to buckle down and get through a shitty time you know and there's nothing wrong with that but when your whole life is just get through it <laughs> like mm. that's that's no way to live and um like sobriety has given me the chance to do all the things that you know i i initially thought i could do better when i was drunk but really again another great lie <laughs> in humanity and society is you know I, I well I can't remember the quote but it's like alcohol gave me or uh sobriety gave me everything that alcohol promised or something yeah. along those lines I've heard that yeah. a bit this week actually yeah a few people mm-hmm. have said that this week yeah but it, it's so true isn't it it is so true is it you know we're, we're actually finding now the truth mm-hmm. really the truth of, of of how it is for for us um mm-hmm. so looking back on obviously you said nine months was a bit for you had a lot you've been contending with and dealing with how different is that you know was that did it affect you just normally as in it's stressful I have to deal with this um or did you get really depressed and really low with it could you function better this time round without the alcohol but what was different yeah the main difference is I know now not to isolate anymore I know to reach out to people and say I'm having a hard time um you know I don't sometimes it's it's as simple as saying I feel this like I don't know what to do I'm just I have to break it down into like very very small steps of like processing my thoughts like even this morning um I woke up and I I've been really extra stressed with um we're having a a third wave of COVID at work right now and it's just like my my field is just like blowing up and things have I've never seen anything like this in 10 years of working so I just I have this like dark cloud (laughs) hanging over my head because I just I've been feeling so just eaten up and like used (laughs) by going to work all the time and I I just woke up this morning and I couldn't I just felt like this heaviness on my chest, you know, and I, I realized I I couldn't place it at first. I'm like, why do I feel so crap? Like I just woke up, nothing even happened yet. You know, like, it's not like I'm dealing with a stressor that has happened to me currently. I just, I woke up with this feeling and, um, 
I'm still learning in sobriety to identify what I'm actually feeling because like this, this sense of discomfort is coming from somewhere. And so I just, I went through a mental list of, you know, like, is it, is it this, is it this thing? Like, is it this? And then when I, when I got to like work and, and stress work and stuff, like I instantly just started to tear up. I just had this well of emotion. I'm like, Oh, that's the one then. Okay. That's the one. And, um, and so I thought about it for maybe five minutes, you know, I'm like, maybe I can just do a voice journal or, you know, journal in a book or, um, you know, something. And I was like, no, like I need to be vulnerable with someone right now. Like I need to get this emotion out of my head. And so, um, I, uh, you've used telegram before I left like a voice message, um, to a couple of friends in there and I didn't intend to cry in the voice message, but it turned within 20 seconds into me just like sobbing (laughs) uncontrollably in this message, you know? And, uh, that's the main thing for me because when I was drinking, I never would have done that ever in a million years. Like I would have been like, I'm so stupid for not handling this better you know, I should have better control of my emotions. I don't want to bother these people. They got enough going on in their lives, you know, and all of those things that keep you stuck in your own shame, you know, in your own grief. And, um, I just kind of like jumped off the cliff metaphorically. I'm like, I need to tell someone how crappy I feel right now. And it was, it was so nice because, you know, I've made a lot of friends in sobriety, a lot of really healthy connections and, you know, they're all struggling to do the same thing. So like my sharing and my being vulnerable actually inspired a few other people to share them. And then we were all like, before you know it, it's like this huge, like support fest for everyone's just loving on each other, you know? And I'm like, that's, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't of recognized that emotion, chosen to express it and, you know, been vulnerable and been like, put that risk out there. So that's, the main thing that I have taught myself because it's like connection beats addiction. I know that's a really cliche phrase, but it's 100% accurate for me for sure. Yeah. 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 And I'm kind of learning as well. You've just described that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to express our vulnerability. Um, Because if we don't, we then become vulnerable to the booze again, because that's our old patterns and our old things. And, um, and yeah, I used to, you know, when I was first on the app and everything, I was always really, really positive. If I was having a bad time, I wouldn't share any of my bad stuff. I had to be upbeat. I had to be fun, you know, I had to be positive. And I realized that I was doing other people a disservice in doing that Mm -hmm. because, you know, people thinking, well, you know, she's, she's got it easy. Why is she always happy? Why is she wait? But, yeah, and not letting them see the other side and right. letting them see the struggles as well. And and I think that's one thing that we come to to realise in sobriety, isn't it? That that actually by sharing, by feeling the feels and sharing them with other people um, and letting other people in, it helps them as well. It helps them mm-hmm. in their in their journey. Um, and I've done that in the telegram groups before, you know, I've gone in and I haven't even really known how I'm feeling at the start, just that, you know, I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm crying mm-hmm. and then I'm like, and I'm feeling angry and this is why I'm angry, blah, 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 you know, and 10 minutes later of a voice message <laughs> and you feel so much better, don't you, for having, having, well, I do anyway, I feel so much better. I mean, I think when I was drinking, I would I would reach out but in the wrong way it was that next morning feeling wasn't it of Christ you know who who have I contacted who have I rang what have I said blah 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 um and and then really feeling vulnerable um but now it's kind of okay to let that show because we're actually doing it in a sober way which just feels so refreshing 
Yeah. And the different, I did that too. When I was drunk, like I would ring up the craziest people like that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And I would just, I was so desperate for someone to actually talk to, but you know, when you're the main difference for me anyway, is when I was drunk and reaching out for help, I didn't intend to actually do anything about it. I didn't intend to feel better. I just wanted attention. You know, I just wanted like connection in that moment. Like I didn't reach out with the understanding that this was going to be something that helped me process my emotion. It was just like something that sounded like a good idea and I was going to receive someone's attention back, you know, but now when I do it, like I understand that reaching out is like one step in a multi-step process for getting through hard stuff because, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to, you have to acknowledge it. Um, I'm actually into this, uh, like way of categorizing my thoughts now, which was kind of inspired by, um, one of my friends in the community, but I'm trying to kind of put whatever I'm experiencing into like, like a few different categories. Like, am I, am I resting on this? Like, is this a thing that I'm okay with? Um, is this a thing I'm actively overcoming or is this a thing I need help with? So it's kind of like a trifecta, like you're either rising above it, you're living in it, or you're getting help with it. And, you know, I, I try and think which one of those things can I apply to my current problem. Um, and sometimes it's like a slow, you know, slow realization. You're like, oh yeah, this has been bothering me for a while. I should probably, you know, I should probably talk to someone about this or, or you just like this morning with me, you just wake up and you're like, this sucks. I can't handle this right now. You know, (laughs) and there's, there's no wrong way to like handle your emotions other than to drink about them. That's the only wrong way (laughs) that you can do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, it's about processing them, isn't it? And or, as you say, identifying them first of all, because we don't know what they are. And, and that's the thing, we've, we've suppressed so many feelings that, that we, we kind of get them mixed up initially, aren't we? That we can't actually think, oh, what, what is that feeling? You know, is that mm-hmm. anger? Is that sadness? What's that about? And so it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of an investigation, isn't it? It's a bit of digging that we have to do and looking mm-hmm. at sort of what, what we could do to make that better. Um, but, I, and I think, you know, you're right as well you know with the with when I used to be drinking and drunk and reaching out I wasn't reaching out for help I was reaching to let people know how shit I was feeling and what part they bloody played in that you know <laughs> yep yep <laughs> you're now, gonna hear it if you don't wanna yeah. I don't care yeah you don't care because it's all your fault anyway yeah yeah exactly whereas, yeah we're in to we reach out and we take responsibility don't we for our own actions for our own responses and um right and yeah, that, that, that's huge. And that, that's really helped with, with my mood. I, I think not only um, the, the obviously allowing the serotonins to be more fruitful than they were because I'm not suppressing mm-hmm. them so much, um, but also in, yeah, not having that shame, giving myself a bit of a break, identifying what I'm actually feeling um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and working through it. I mean, one of the realisations I had actually was when I went to meet um, one of our Sabre sisters. I know you've had a meet-up recently as well, mm-hmm. haven't we? We'll talk a bit about that in a bit if you want. Um, sure. But the first time I went to meet one of our Sabre sisters, um, I think it was SJ, and I was really, I felt really, really anxious that morning. And mm-hmm. I was like, do you know what? I um, 
this is the time I would have drank. I would have had mm-hmm. a glass of wine before I went. I would have got to the pub first and had a glass of wine before she'd even walked in. Yeah, so what I kind of um, realised was that it was excitement. And before, I'd always drunk that feeling away, thinking that it was anxiety. Mm-hmm. It was excitement. You know, oh, I've been drowned oh, excitement. <laughs> yeah, I felt that, like, really deeply because that's a new emotion that I'm still learning to handle is actual excitement about stuff. And what you just mentioned earlier was that, that sober meetup I had um, with two people uh, in Orlando a few weeks ago. And that is exactly how I felt. Like it was the weirdest, coolest thing. Like I felt like I was a kid again. And I, I just, I was like, that little that like kind of like bubbly just joyous feeling like I get to see my friends you know like when you're young and you're like excited about a sleepover (laughs) or you're like going to see a movie with your friends you know or like just just something like that and like you know when you're a kid that's like genuine excitement you don't have to be drunk to enjoy things and um it was just the coolest feeling was just being able to hang out with these people sober and have no one pressuring us to to drink um no, I mean, cause obviously we're all sober. So we all, and we all know each other. We all know our stories, you know, and um, yeah, excitement is not the same as like nervousness, but they feel really close in the moment. Mm. Like they really do. And especially if you're trained, like you had said to kind of, you know, just not want that to just want to kind of calm your excitement or calm your, or you think you're too much or you think you're wrong for feeling what you do. You know, you're like, Oh, some alcohol will put a nice filter on that. But the more you actually realize you can express that genuine bubbly joy and get a lot out of life for it. Like that's really cool. And I just, as time goes on, I'm having more and more of those genuine bubbly joy moments, like out of nowhere. It's so nice. <laughs> I yeah. haven't felt that in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing is we do, you do feel the, the horrible stuff, but I, I just feel a real genuine happiness. Um, I, I certainly I did in, in sort of, you know, the first sort of year. Um, I, I was kind of like with, with you, with your nine months. So I didn't have a lot going on in my life, but just, I was just like at the year, I thought I was going to be so excited and I got so excited for everybody else's year birthday. And I was just like, Oh, I don't actually feel anything. Mm -hmm. And it it was, it was kind of strange, but I then decided I I shouldn't be, you know, I had to stop that. I should feel like this. I ought to feel like this. Yeah. Should is a dangerous word. Should is a very, very dangerous word. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just accepted and, that that's how it was, you know, and mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, that's a lot of my depression too. And I had it, I, I always was comparing myself to this like invisible standard, you know, like I, I should be doing this more. I shouldn't be doing that more. And, you know, that's, I now know that that's called imposter syndrome, where you just feel like you, you aren't doing things right. You don't fit in. Um, that's something I'm still exploring a lot more in it lately because I realize that it has invaded pretty much every area of my life that I didn't really realize until um, until I got sober, which is, you know, what happens when you get sober. You're like, oh, there's another thing I was covering up for years. No, and another one. Oh, hi. They're everywhere. You know? um, but it's, there's, 
I don't know. Like, I, I know, like, depending on where you live, the cultural standard for certain things is different. And, you know, you being in UK, I'm in Florida, even in different parts of the US, there's different standards for, you know, living. And my fiance is in Australia. So um, it, it's really helped me having these, like, you know, international perspectives on on what's a normal life, because there really isn't one normal thing. It's just like whatever works for you. And, and, you know, as long as you're staying sober and as long as you're getting through life and then that's really all you need to do. That's like the bare yeah. minimum. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, that's so important to remember, isn't it? Is all, it's all, we're on the same journey, but it's all our own journey and it's mm-hmm. an in, very individual one and what works for one person might not work for another person. And so that's why it's really important to find, you know, your, your own ways, especially, um, with depression you know it's about knowing your triggers what triggers you off it's knowing your warning signs as you say you know I should have known I should have realized you know the Mm -hmm. warning signs are there it's knowing what's your warning sign for depression and knowing what what to do to get you get you out of it um I mean I have a maintenance plan on my fridge that is there um Mm -hmm. and you know that is for both my mental and my physical health because one of the things that I really struggle with um is trying to balance and pace my emotional and physical health because I'll have a bit more energy, I'll have a bit less pain, I'll be like, yeah, let's get out and do stuff because that's really good for my mental health. But then physically, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm down in the ground again. You know, so it's trying mm-hmm. to get that balance so for me a maintenance plan really really works um Mm -hmm. and that has all the basics on there like that I have to be out of bed by nine o'clock in the morning if I'm not my fibro really flares up and it makes me tireder I have to have a shower and a bath every day doesn't matter what time in the day but I have to have a shower a bath you know to eat healthily avoid alcohol keep hydrated do my physio exercises Mm -hmm. um do one thing every day that I've been putting off you know just one thing I've been putting off to get outside each day even if it's just for 10-15 minutes sitting in the garden um Mm -hmm. what else have I got on there ask for help there you go that's what I've really struggled with for years and uh suddenly now even though it's been on my list for a good year of asking for help I still struggle with that one um acceptance staying curious pace and since I got sober living in the now as well just now is written across there mm-hmm. so for me that kind of helps because that's my plan that I know that I have to do every day to keep myself fit and healthy physically and emotionally and if I'm not doing all that then I have to straight away take responsibility if my mood yep. starts to dip because that's written there I know what I have to do to keep myself in you know the best I can and then I have a flare-up plan as well so if mm-hmm. things do get bad, then, you know, I have to do all of the above and extra flare up plans and things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything like that that either you've written down or that you have mentally in your mind that you have to do to keep yourself well? Yeah, I um, I like that a lot. I'm, I'm all about like practical knowledge and like putting your knowledge into use to make active changes. And um, my new my new bare minimum is an average of 30 minutes of activity a day. Uh, so some days I'll do like 90 minutes, other days I'll do like 15, you know, um, some on the days I work, it's hard because I, I work pretty much all day. So I don't have a lot of time after, so I kind of make up for it on the days that I'm off. But, um, 
like staying active and just having, you know, every, every doctor in existence will tell you like diet and exercise. Like, have you tried that with, with any problem you have? Because there, I can't remember where I heard this. This is from a meme I found or something, but, um, you know, you need like water, food, and sunlight. Like you're basically a house plant with more complicated human emotions. Mm-hmm. That's, it. That's it. Because it's true. And, and we very often forget just the basics of like, you know, physical activity and correct eating and sleeping. Sleeping is another one. I've been obsessive about like tracking my sleep. Um, I have, I have an Apple watch and I have, um, like a, a couple apps on my phone that, you know, kind of give me a report every night for how I sleep and like my heart rate when I sleep and, you know, if it's deep sleep or light sleep, because like that matters a lot, how you wake up in the morning, like if you slept well or you slept poorly. And, um, it's, it's good to notice trends too, because like, I noticed if I exercise more or I have certain foods later in the day that can affect how I sleep, which then affects my mood and, you know, it all, it all kind of rolls together, but you have to like pay attention. And, um, when you're in like a depression cycle, you just don't give a crap about yourself at all. Like you don't even, like I had days where I'm like, I'm not even worthy of going to take a shower. I would like leave dishes in my sink and not want to do them. And then it was like this self-defeating cycle of like not doing the dishes because you don't have the energy and then feeling like crap because you didn't do them. You're like, I'm so gross. How could I not do that? You know? And it's just that constant shame that like the drinking slash depression cycle kept me in for a long time. I actually even know <laughs> I knew I was doing good because back in January is um, I had had just over a month, but I'd, I'd had like a constant few resets here and there. But um, January I had, I was approaching a month at the beginning of January. And um, I, I had this gym membership that I was paying for, but I hadn't used in about a year. It just was one of those things that I either forgot about it, forgot about canceling it. I told myself I would use it again one day, so I didn't Mm -hmm. want to cancel it. Or um, the thought of actually owning up to the fact that I had wasted all of that money was too much for me to deal with. There's like too much shame there. So I just intentionally ignored it. So um, I was like, I'm going to go back to the gym. Like I have this membership, I'm going to start using it. And, you know, I, I didn't have the current card. I had like update all my information and it had been a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I have to face this thing that depression had kept me in because it's, it's, I, I had realized it was just a kind of a small thing in the grand scheme of things, but you know, those, those things that you don't solve that eat at you day after day, after day, after day, after day. And once you finally take care of it, you're like, Oh, okay. Like that's one less thing I have to worry about. And so ever since then I've been going consistently. And so now I took that thing that I was ashamed about for like a year and then I had wasted money. And now that thing has changed my life and I've lost 40 pounds. (laughs) So it's like, you have to like make a decision to not deal with that shame anymore and to like take that energy and use it to transform yourself, you know? So, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've got um, on my maintenance list, I think, is like to, to put 
to do something I've been putting off each day because mm-hmm. if I can at least do one thing like I said washing up or whatever it is or, or something or used to be with me it was just letters I just leave the letters piling up on the side and then I'd be mm-hmm. worrying about what's in the letters or I wouldn't check my bank statement and I'd be worrying about what's in it you know and yeah. and it just gets worse and worse and we go round and round in circles and in loops don't we and and with alcohol as well that that helps us to ignore it all didn't it just drink mm-hmm. it will go away just drink it will go away well it doesn't we just it's just the worry goes away yeah but then we've got the hangover and everything as well that goes goes with it which is all pretty shit yeah I don't miss that at all yeah not one bit I I actually um I'm a week what is today Wednesday okay yeah so this coming Monday um I'm taking my first sober plane ride so um, I'm saying this here as extra accountability. I'm not going to drink on the plane ride. Um, I was one of those people that no matter what time of day I arrived at an airport, I would be in the bar chugging a couple cocktails because I, you know, I have a lot of anxiety about flying and, um, you know, just the atmosphere. I don't like it. So um, I just I'm going to handle it. And it's one of those things I got to cross off my list and just say I did that sober because that's kind of what sobriety is, is just finding new things or not even new things, but things that you might have only handled or done while you're drunk and going back and like saying, oh, I did that sober and I actually handled it sober. That's cool. Because yeah, I'm exactly the same. I'm, I'm with you, like sort of four o'clock in the morning, four o'clock flight or whatever. I'm there with, with mm-hmm. Atavan or diazepam mm-hmm. and alcohol just just completely yeah. drinking myself into oblivion to get on to the plane um so do you have a plan for how you're gonna handle it um since I do okay so independently of my drinking and like my bouts with depression I do also have an anxiety disorder um that is present even in my sobriety um I have panic attacks that I cannot predict or control it's just one of those things that has been a part of my life and I was wondering if it was going to get better in sobriety but it's still there so I'm just kind of accepting it's part of my life and as a result of that I do have some like emergency Ativan to take um just to get through it um I I know that like some people when they reach sobriety they they don't even want to try like any substances like that um I'm of the opinion that if it's a temporary thing for a known problem you have, then there's nothing wrong with getting help for it. Um, so I do have that. I'm going to try just some, you know, I have some guided meditations about coping with anxiety. Um, I'm going to just make sure that, you know, I, I talk to people before and after if I need to, um, just have stuff on the plane, to keep me distracted, you know, uh, stuff like that. But, um, if all of those fail, you know, I like to have like a safety net, um, because previously my safety net was always getting those little like $8 bottles of wine on the plane. And so I, I know that, you know, and, and if I do need that safety net, having something like Ativan will keep me from having to do that versus just having like a panic attack in the middle of the plane and, you know, wondering if I'm going to die and then freaking out and, you know, so it's just, it's more for my own, my own protection more than anything, just because I know myself and I know my history with anxiety, my panic attacks can happen without warning, even if I'm feeling good. So, yeah. 
yeah and, and again it's their own journey isn't it and i'd be the same mm-hmm. i'd probably take an atadan as well to be fair mm-hmm. um because you you know how how real that fear is you know um to you um mm-hmm. my mine is about actually with the plane I, I figured what it is about the plane it's about being out of control that yep. i'm in guy and i'm out of control but in my but i also know that it's far better for the pilot to be in control and it is me of that plane so i'm mm-hmm. still trying to work on that one you know because really nobody wants me in control of that airplane at all so right so right. We're, we're my, uh, yeah sorry my fiance is really into um like he admires and loves everything about aircraft like it's a very big interest of his and so as a result he watches a lot of you know like discovery shows about you know, flying and the history of flying and stuff. And he told me a quote to help me. And it's that pilots, when they get to the airport, they feel safer at the airport than driving there because mm-hmm. pilots understand the infinitesimally smaller risk of a plane crash than a car crash. Like being on a highway is where pilots get nervous. Like in the air, they are very comfortable. So I was like, oh, that's good. That made me feel a lot better. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, it's true though. Like statistically, you're way more likely to get in a car wreck than you are a plane crash. So yeah. I have to kind yes. of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To do that. Are you going anywhere nice? Are you allowed to share where you're going? Are you going anywhere nice? On yeah. I, well, I'm in Florida, so I'm going to California. Um, my grandpa and uh, his wife and their family live out there. And I'm just going for five days to visit them um, just to kind of take a mental health break for <laughs> from my work situation and from my life and um, just a little bit of an escape. And also uh, he's one of the family that has supported me um, the most throughout my sobriety because um, his brothers, my great uncles, um, they died before I was born, but they both had struggles with alcoholism and um, which I didn't know until I'd gotten sober. I kind of wish I would have <laughs> known that alcoholism runs in my family, but I didn't know that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it'll be cool because the last time I saw him, I mean, I was there and I had fun, but it was, I was still drinking every day and all of the memories I made the last time I was there were, you know, they were tainted at one point without call. Sure. Like whether it was a you know, cocktail lunch or, you know, wine at dinner or unwinding at, you know, a, a family member's house with cocktails or something it's it was always there and I was always wondering when my next drink was and to to be able to go experience this family you know these interactions sober will be like the first time I've ever done that in my adult life so I'm really excited wow. about it yeah that's good making new memories and uh, yeah and, yeah just as you were talking actually it made me think I thought yeah do you know what when I was drinking a lot of memories that I'd have about my past would be all the sad and morose and feeling sorry for me and all the horrible memories. And since I've got sober and in this last year, I don't really remember a lot of the horrible stuff that's happened in this last year or two. I actually remember all the good stuff and all the celebration stuff. I don't, mm-hmm. Do you find that as well with you? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I actually view the times where I was, you know, down. Um, I won't use the term depressed because I think that should apply to like long-term, you know, persistent sadness. So I'll just say like down or feeling bad. Um, But I I view those as times where I, I was resting. Like I, I was, you know, a lot of things had happened and I was at the point where, you know, I couldn't have that high, high functioning, like sense of joy and confidence. Um, 
And it's, I don't view it as a bad thing anymore. I, I don't view it as like a failure of me personally, which is what I used to view all of my depressed times at, or it, well, that back then it was actual depression, but even like a bad day when I was drinking, I was like, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm an awful person. How could I let this happen? You know? And now I'm just like, that that happened that needed to happen because of this this and this and I got through it with this this and this and um you know I, I'm not like ashamed of having bad emotions anymore which is a big deal for me because that was pretty much my whole problem and <laughs> why I drink so yeah 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 and, and then that takes us down even just those and that, that's the thing with depression isn't it it gives us so much altered thinking it makes us think so negatively and it just keeps us into that that spiral a lot of the mm-hmm. time so um and then when we drink we're in that spiral as well we're suppressing everything changing the chemicals and um just our mood and our thinking all along so so i I guess for anyone listening to this who is perhaps thinking of giving up drinking um or is in the early stages who has depression or um has had depression what what advice of have you any advice that you would give to them about sort of you know giving up the booze and sort of depression and and how how that affects it all yeah my my big thing is just realize that you deserve better um love yourself and understand that the cycle you know the cycle you're in and the pain the very legitimate pain that you feel and the reasons that you have kept drinking um that's all really valid pain and no one's saying don't feel your pain. You just need and deserve better ways to handle that pain rather than something that leaves you like even more lonely and more depressed like drinking does. Um, and uh, it's, it's real scary to take risks and connect with people at first, um, especially if you've, you were like me and you've you know been called like overreacting or crazy or too much or too emotional, you know, by, by people in the past, you're, you're kind of always doubting yourself and your own emotions, but just, it it just takes once or twice to get the ball rolling and just even a random person, you'd be surprised how, how willing some people are to help you if you ask for it. And, and therefore, like you had mentioned earlier, how, um, you know, how it helps them in return because people love giving to other people and you, no one can give to you unless you you need something first you know so yeah we have to communicate don't we and let people know how to help us and what best to do to to help and we we met on the I am Sabre app and and that for me has been absolutely key you know I know we've gone on and had other groups and things offered there as well um but you know the, the community on there so if anyone is looking for an app it is free it's the I am Sabre app Um, There is a really, really great community there waiting to embrace people and help people. And um, because it's it's pretty wonderful when we get to where we are and realise you get to a stage where you want this for everybody, don't you? You just so want everybody to get it and to come and and, and live, as you say, start living again. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes get help and of course you can go to the sober town podcast as well um www.sobertownpodcast.com um lots of great resources don't forget to check out the resources page the tattoo pages i'm looking at your tattoo molly that you are Mm going to have done it's absolutely beautiful your feet risen from the issue yeah yeah 
Yeah, that is so colourful. So we spoke about that last time, didn't we? About you were mm-hmm. going to go and get that done, and you designed that yourself, didn't you? So I I had a hand in it, but the artist and- put most of his touches on it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's it's nice. Like well, on some days, I just look at that and I'm like, that's proof that I'm doing this. You know, I mean, some yeah. people they don't they don't want that big, <laughs> that big commitment or reminder, but for me, it's just it's like wearing armor. Like it feels yeah. powerful. Like I've did it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're wearing sobriety proudly, you know, and it does. Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely beautiful. The colours are you. amazing in it. Yeah, it really, mm-hmm. really is lovely. Is it up on the wall in Sabre Town? Is it on the tattoo wall? I don't think so, because when um, Drifter had asked me for a picture of it, I had only this is three sessions worth, so mm-hmm. I actually still have one more. But I was still on the first one, and I'm like, I want to get more of it done first. So I'm I probably could take a picture now because it's like eighty percent done. And then we put that up there. But the way it's going, I probably, everything will be healed and completed right around by one year. And I like, that's so poetic. I love that. So it'll just be like, (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. Or perhaps if you could just even just perhaps send me a picture of it as it is sure. now and we, and we could put it as the thumbnail for this podcast and then people can oh, see okay. how it is, yeah? And then we can look at it again in a year because we are work in progress, aren't we? That's mm-hmm. us. But yep. So my mentor, I've got a little um, thing I always say is not another drop no matter what, because that makes me feel happy and good and wonderful. Do you have a little mantra or saying that you have? Um, I'll just use the one I use for my, uh, my pledge. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, every time I pledge, I don't know if you still do that, but I do that every morning. Um, and it's simply that um, you deserve peace and happiness. I deserve peace and happiness. You know, wow. it's just- I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that and we do mm-hmm. don't we we all mm-hmm. we all deserve that peace mm-hmm. and happiness amazing yep. well it's been lovely talking to you again you too. We, we must do it again real soon um I've really really enjoyed it um so I will say goodbye for now but we will be back and chat again soon thank you so okay, much awesome. yeah thank, thank you, you too Bye-bye. bye bye